0: Last week we started a brand new message series called what? stressed out. You got to say it that way. It works better that way. We get stressed out, don't we? And last week we talked about one of the four, uh, when surveys have been done recently, there have been four key areas of stress that people have talked about as their highest uh, level of contributing to their stress. Uh, Last week we talked about the highest one, which was time, time management and schedule. If you missed any of these, we post them on our YouTube channel. We archive them there so you can go back and catch them if you missed it then. Uh, So go back and watch that one. Uh, But the other three, uh, one we're talking about today is relationships. And then the other two were uh, money and uh, work, career stress. So we'll cover those uh, next two after this week. I hope you don't miss any of them, but you can go back and catch them if you do. Well, the time stress was a big one because we're all dealing with managing time. But I believe all of us, too, just it's part of life with the relationships that we have. There is stress in relationships. And when I say relationships, it's not just marriage. That's part of it. There's stress in marriage relationships, but we're talking about all relationships and the stress and the tension that tends to be there Uh, on social media. Now, when you're filling that out and setting it up for your own uh, identity there, a lot of times it's got this question about relationship, right? You put your relationship status there. And I've noticed a lot of people use a particular word that indicates maybe some stress in that area. They'll put it's complicated, right? Relationships are complicated. There's no way around it. There's no way to to keep it from being complicated. In the world we live in, uh, there is complication in relationships. An example of that was this lady that came home late one evening And she didn't want to wake up her husband, so she was very quiet when she came into the house. She didn't turn on any of the big lights or anything. She tiptoed up the stairs and opened up the bedroom door, and even in the dim light, she could see something that kind of took her back. Instead of just her husband's two feet sticking out from under the cover, she saw four feet really upset her. She grabbed a bat that they had there for protection and she just started beating the covers with the bat, just wore herself out and she was just all sweaty and and tired. And she went back downstairs, just storming down the stairs and went into the kitchen to get a drink of water. And there sat her husband reading a magazine. She said, Oh, hey, honey, I didn't hear you come in. By the way, your parents surprised us with a visit. I put them in our room. I hope you'll stop by and say hello. It's complicated, right? Relationships are complicated. And, and whether it's marriage or friendship, parents, grandparents, children, extended family, friends, coworkers, even with strangers, relationships are a challenge. Jesus, in fact, in all of Scripture, we have a lot of instructions about how to handle Relationships. We're not going to try to cover all those in one message. That would be a whole series. All right. But today I want to focus on what I believe is the biggest contributing factor to stress in relationships. Because if we can get this one out of the way. Then we can work on the others. You know, still we have other stuff to work on. But if we can take care of this one, it's going to help us, I think, the most in having peace and joy in our relationships. It doesn't mean you can eliminate all stress. You can't. But this one step. Is a step that Jesus points out as a major issue for us in our relationships. And He he throws it in almost without any introduction at all. And it's in Matthew 5, right in the Sermon on the Mount that he's teaching, beginning in verse 23, he says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, he says. First, go and be what? What's that word? Reconciled. Okay, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So he says if you've got something going on where you have a brother or sister that has something against you, what are you supposed to do? before you go to God and present your offering of your life, of your resources, of your time, before you do that, the first step to make that right is to go do what? Reconcile with that person. Now, here's the thing that threw them off and throws us off when we read that. We often, when we read it, think that maybe Jesus got it backwards. Think about this. He's not saying if you have something against them. If you have some problem with them, go make it right. What's he saying? If they have a problem with you. Wow. That's different. That's putting a responsibility on us that quite frankly we don't want to take on. Uh, I have a tendency, maybe you do too, To think this way they got a problem with me that's their problem right yeah I got people in my life that like me I don't need them why would I have to waste any time on this but when Jesus is talking about removing stress from relationships he's putting it on us to be the initiators The ones who take the first steps. The ones who don't wait on the other person to come to us. And we don't like to do it that way. That's the hardest way to do it. It's the most awkward way to do it. But Jesus is saying that's what you need to do if you're going to have a right relationship with the Father and be able to present yourself and your life to Him properly. Is we need to take the initiative when someone has something against us, to first go and be reconciled to them. And we make all kinds of excuses for not doing this, don't we? You've probably made some of these excuses. Well, if they really wanted to be reconciled with me, what would they do? They'd reach out to me, right? That, that, that's the excuse we make most often it's that if they wanted reconciliation, I would be hearing from them. They would be approaching me. Or, uh, I just feel like it's too soon. You know, we got to let things settle more. And there could be some truth to that, but, but we let that go on and on and on, where it's never a good time. It's never the right time. It's never a, a time to actually take the step that Jesus is telling us to take here. Or we think, well... You know, I've already forgiven them. It's no big deal. And that's a good step to take, right? We're talking about how forgiveness is a key element of reconciliation. But forgiveness without doing this step that Jesus is talking about doing doesn't produce reconciliation. It doesn't. You may feel better and be going on with your life, but reconciliation with that person hasn't happened if you've just in your own heart forgiven them but haven't even talked to them haven't made any effort to approach them or get this thing worked out that's not reconciliation and I believe forgiveness is an essential step but it's not the only step that needs to be taken here according to Jesus this this one thing I believe and that's why Jesus emphasizes it this one thing, this one step would really do more for us and our relationship with the Father than we think. The fact that we would, uh, here's why. We become most like God when we initiate reconciliation. Do you know that? Because God's a great reconciler. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the sacrifice is all about. It's about reconciliation. It's about making our relationship right with the Father again. And did he wait for us? No. He took the initiative. He came to us to reconcile with us. We were the ones at fault, by the way. And he still came to us. He wasn't at fault. We use that excuse too. Well, the problem between us is them, not me. Well, the problem between us and God was not God. Who was it? It's us. But who took the initiative to reconcile? God did. God took the initiative to reconcile. You see, it eliminates all the excuses, and it makes us more like the Father when we're willing to take this step to reconcile. There's another passage where Paul talks about this, and uh, I want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 17. If somebody's alarm just went off and I'm not done yet, so we're going to, we got a little while yet, okay? Just getting started here, people. Here we go. Second Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 17. He says this Therefore, when he says therefore, what do we do? See what it's here for. There you go. All right. Therefore, what? If anyone is in Christ, I think most everybody hearing the message today, you're either seeking uh, that relationship with Christ, or maybe you're already in Christ. So this, this is speaking to those who are in Christ. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Okay, so he's talking about a new creation, a new life, a new experience, a new way of doing things that sets you apart from the old. See, the old way would be, I'm not about to go try to reconcile with that person. That's the old one. We're talking about the new one here, okay? The new life that we have. He says this new life uh, is made possible. He says uh, all this is from God who did what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? The word ministry there means service or service act of reconciliation. He's given us what ministry to do? Reconciliation. Oh, wait a minute. He's calling us to take some action here. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of what? I mean, that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? Reconciliation. That's the core of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given us the ministry uh, of of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then he adds, we are therefore Christ, what? Ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I know Paul is speaking as an apostle there and he's talking about how God has given him and his fellow servants this ministry of reconciliation. But here's the thing. If we're disciples of Jesus, we're in him, we're supposed to have a new way of living and we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we represent Him to the culture around us. Now one of the things about representing Jesus to the culture around us is when Jesus was on the earth did He stand out a little bit? Was He a little different than the others? I mean they said nobody ever taught like this man. He's, nobody ever had the kind of authority of this man. I mean He stood out. He, he drew attention didn't He? Good and bad attention. He because he was so different. The teaching, he said, you have heard this said, but I tell you this. He was was making them level up in their understanding of God's will and God's way for their lives. And he wants us to represent him and the world, which means we need to level up and live a life that is a higher and holier calling than the way everybody else is living. And being reconcilers is part of how we do that because most people in the world without Christ have no intention or desire to be reconcilers. They want what they want for themselves. You hurt them, they cut you off. We live in the cancel culture, by the way, right? Or if you mess up, they just cancel you out. There is no even opportunity for reconciliation in the way the world does things. It doesn't exist. So if we're gonna stand out in our culture, One of the ways we're going to stand out and be different is with this act of reconciliation that God has called us to. It will make us shine like stars in the darkness of the universe if we can get this right. So we need to do it for that reason, but also because it helps our relationship with the Father. We want to please God. We want to honor God. We want to represent Him well. So the way we are are doing that helps in our relationship with Him. So if we're doing a good job with this, our relationship with God is made even better in Christ. So I want to give three things here that I believe are very important in this process of becoming reconcilers. First one is this. If we're going to do this and do it well, we need to focus on obedience and let Him handle the outcome. Focus on obedience to what he's telling us to do and let him handle the outcome part. One of the excuses is, I don't even need to try because they don't want to talk to me. They're not going to listen to me. They've already made up their mind. We say all those things. To excuse ourselves from even taking any steps toward reconciliation. Those things may be true, but that's not the point The point is, he told us to do what? Leave your gift at the altar, don't present it yet, go do what first? Go reconcile first. You see, if we're going to be obedient, the excuses go out, right? The, the excuses don't count. Obedience can't be only when we don't have any excuses for not doing it. We wouldn't be obedient to much of anything, right? If, if we had an excuse that was valid, we wouldn't have to do anything God asked us to do. We don't have valid excuses, so obedience is our part in this. Let's just be obedient. Let's just start doing what he's telling us to do here, what he's teaching us to do in our lives. Here's what I've learned about, about when God tells us to do something. It's when I don't do it, I don't get the benefits or the blessings of it. But when I do it, there are blessings and benefits connected to it. Haven't you felt felt that with every area of obedience in your life? I know I have. And, And God doesn't want you to miss out on any of the blessings. So he's telling you, go ahead and do this. Just be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you can't guarantee the outcome. But he's not asking you to guarantee the outcome, is he? What's he asking you to do? Be obedient. That's what he's asking me to do. You just be obedient. Just go do what I told you to do. Parents, don't we struggle with this with our kids, right? We tell them to go do something and they say, well, I'll get to it later. Just do what I'm telling you to do, right? That's what we say. (laughs) And we know the benefits to it. We know it's going to be better for them because we're not going to be nearly as angry with them if they'll just go do what we're asking them to do. Now, that's not about God getting angry. It's about God being disappointed and God not being able to bless his people the way he wants to bless his people because we're not being obedient to those steps he's calling on us to take. So we need to take the step of initiating this process of reconciliation, and God will handle the outcome. Sometimes people are going to respond, well, They're going to be overwhelmed with your kindness and the fact that you reached out and the fact that you demonstrated that kind of care and concern for them. There are going to be some people who react. There are going to be some people who are just in shock that you did this. They're not going to know how to respond or what to say. It's going to take a little while for it to sink in, and that's okay too. And there are going to be people who flat out reject any effort you're making, but you're not responsible for any of those. God's responsible for the outcome of our obedience. I guarantee you one outcome if you don't take this step is there will never be any reconciliation that takes place. Because there can't be reconciliation without someone taking the initiative to reconcile. That's the only way it can happen. So there will not be any reconciliation without any effort to reconcile. So stop worrying about whether or not the outcome is going to be what you want it to be. That's not the point. The point is just start being obedient to what he's calling on you to do first. Then let God take care of the rest. I love in that same Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five in verse nine, he said this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. How many of you love it when you got peace in your life? Raise your hand. You like peace, yeah. I think we all cherish that, don't we? But here's the problem, we want peace to just happen. We just want it to be there, we just want it to exist. But he doesn't say just be peace lovers, he said be peace what? Makers, Makers. that's where the blessing is. It's when we start being peacemakers, we, we make the effort, we put forth the effort, we, we take the steps that would lead to the possibility of peace. You see, it's on us to be peacemakers Not just ask, God, just just fix this for me. Well, God wants to do that, but he's got steps. He's told you in his word that you need to take for this to be fixed, right? Let's take the steps. Let's initiate reconciliation when we have the opportunity to do so. We don't always have that opportunity, but when we do, we should be willing to initiate, to take the steps. Let's focus on obedience, and let Him handle the outcome. The second step is this. We extend grace and He provides the healing. We extend grace and He provides the healing. Grace has been defined a lot of different ways. And of course, we have the classic song, Amazing Grace. Grace is amazing. It's it's the most amazing thing in the world. God's grace is, it is amazing. But grace is sometimes defined as uh, unmerited favor. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to, to define it. But I like the unmerited part because grace does not involve the worthiness of the person who receives it. Understand grace that way it's not earned, it's not achieved. You don't put yourself in a position where now you can get grace, it's there already being offered. Okay, so if we're going to initiate reconciliation, that involves grace on our part, if we're going to be the initiators. And if it's by grace that we're doing this, then we're not waiting on the other person to get everything right before we take the steps. We're not waiting on the other person to apologize. We're not waiting on the other person to to make restitution. We're not waiting on the other person to take any action at all if we're doing this out of grace. Now, why should we extend grace to people who aren't doing anything to deserve it? Who aren't doing anything to to justify in our minds that we ought to show grace to them? Well, it's because of what Paul said in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember these words? It's by grace you have been what? Saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the, what's that word? Gift of God, not by what? Works so that no one can boast. We're most like our God when we initiate reconciliation through our grace being offered to others because we have received grace ourselves. Think about your relationship with the Father. Could you even have it at all without His grace being extended to you? No. Neither could I. I stand totally dependent on the grace of God in my life and my relationship with Him. There's no other way I could have a close relationship with the Father, except for His grace being extended to me. Because we've all done what? And when we say we've all sinned, we've sinned against Him, that's what we need to understand. We've offended him. We we, we have gone against him and his will. We've hurt him because it cost him his son on the cross to pay for that sin. You understand the hurt we brought to the Father with our sin? And yet he says, I still want a relationship with you. I'm going to, in my grace, I'm going to give you unmerited favor. I'm going to show you favor even though you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You can't work for it. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So when we do that for somebody else, we're being like God. We are representing him well. Remember, we are ambassadors for him. That means you represent him. So if we're representing him, extending grace to someone is one of the greatest ways you identify with the Father and show the Father's love to the world. And what we tend to do is pick and choose who we're gonna do this for. Because we think certain people qualify, and certain people don't. Because this one hurt me so bad that I, I, that one doesn't qualify. This one disappointed me so much it doesn't qualify. This one has been so mean about it it doesn't qualify. Right? We we have all these qualifiers that we put on it. But God extends His grace toward us as a gift, not earned, not deserved. And so we've got to extend grace. And here's the thing I have found. It is so powerful, grace is, that it's the most healing medicine in the world. I hope you know this in your own life. You've received the grace of God and you know the healing that it's brought to you to be forgiven and loved and welcomed and restored. And that relationship with him. Think of the difference that's made for you. The healing power. Of the grace of God for you. Well friends when relationships are stressed out and strained. Grace is the most healing medicine. You can apply. To that stress and that strain. In those relationships. Just as a free gift. Give them grace. And here's the thing about the healing of grace. Sometimes they receive it. And healing comes to them. And it's an amazing thing. But here's the thing about giving the grace. It heals you. Regardless of their response. It heals you. It takes away the anger. The stress. The anxiety. That that relationship was causing in your life. It just evaporates it. so that when you're healed you can be a healthier person representative of Christ to the world. When you're healed in relationships, you can be a better husband, better father, better grandparent, better brother, sister, child, friend, coworker. When you're healed and healthy in this area, your relationships get better everywhere with everyone some of the biggest problems in your relationships right now are because you haven't been healed by grace and you need that healing in your life because when you've received that healing everything changes for every relationship from that point on so we need to extend grace and let god provide the healing that only god himself can provide here's what you need to know You're not the healer of the relationship. Who is? God is. Sometimes we're busy doing everything we can to fix a relationship that's messed up and broken, and we're trying to do it in our own strength and our own power. But our obedience is to extend grace. God's job is to provide the healing, not ours. Now, not everybody's going to receive it and let the healing come into their lives, but God can provide the healing for anyone who would receive the grace anyone who will accept the grace can be healed by the father but you're not the healer and neither am i god is so let's get that off of our shoulders that's not what he's asked us to do he's asked us to take the initiative to reconcile and offer grace to those that we have stress in our relationships with sue so and i have been married 46 years and In 46 years, I can't... Yes, thank you. I know that's for Sue Ann, but all right. Because you know no marriage lasts any good length of time at all without the power of grace. It has to be there. And if any of you are raising a teenager right now, you know that no teenager lives through those years without what? Grace. 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 AND NOBODY STAYS LONG-TERM AT A JOB, ANY JOB, WITHOUT SOME WHAT? GRACE. BECAUSE THERE'S NO PERFECT JOB AND NOT EVERYTHING GOES RIGHT AT ANY JOB. RIGHT. NO RELATIONSHIPS LAST WITHOUT THE ELEMENT OF GRACE. AT LEAST NOT GOOD RELATIONSHIPS THAT, that NEED TO LAST. THEY DON'T LAST WITHOUT GRACE. And I know people look at like, like, like me and Sue Ann and say, oh, you've been married 46 years. You just, you found the right one, didn't you? And that's true. But guess what we still had to have? Grace. still have to have grace. You have to extend grace. My wife on a regular basis. <laughs> Which leads to the final thing, and that's this. It comes down to this. We seek reconciliation, he provides the remedy. We're trying to figure it all out ahead of time on how we can make this reconciliation work. And that's the wrong order. I don't know how it's going to work out when I offer reconciliation, neither do you. We don't have to. You don't have to wait till you get that part worked out. Just take the step. Just initiate the reconciliation. Just begin the process. I love the description of a Christ follower's life in Romans 12 beginning with verse 9, where we talk about, Paul talks about there, the, the love of Christ in us and what the change that it makes. Here's what he says. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, HONOR ONE ANOTHER ABOVE YOURSELVES, NEVER BE LACKING IN ZEAL, KEEP YOUR SPIRITUAL FERVOR SERVING THE LORD be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those, here's where it gets even harder, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, with one another, do not be proud but willing to associate with people of low position, don't be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Listen to verse 18. Listen to the wording. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written as mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you make sure reconciliation is possible you make sure you do the obedient steps as God is calling you to take see that's what makes it possible It's when somebody initiates that and God's calling on us to be the people who initiate that his followers and he says don't take revenge Sometimes we're not seeking reconciliation because we're still trying to hurt the other person the way they hurt us. It's like the, uh, the wife that was mad at her husband and didn't speak to him for a whole week. Thought, that'll teach him. I'm not going to talk to him all week long. At the end of the week, the husband looks at the wife with loving eyes and says, man, we're getting along so well now these days. Right? When you try to hurt other people, you're hurting yourself quit trying to do that. Be a reconciler, be a peacemaker in your relationships. God will handle the other person. You don't even have to get revenge if they refuse to accept your grace and your peace. God, God takes care of all that part. Let him handle his part. Just do your part. One of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen or, or known about is with Cory Ten Boom who many of you know some of her story. She was, uh, as a young girl, taken into a Nazi uh, prison camp during World War II, her and her sister. And she was treated horribly, and her sister died in the camp. She survived, to talk about it later. And she went on to write books and speak at events about the, the horrors of that war. But she also talked about the healing power of forgiveness in her talks. And she thought she was doing pretty well with it until one particular talk she shares about it. It was in a church in Munich, she says, when I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave my my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to link that there's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins I said God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence and in silence they collected their wraps And in silence, they left the room. That's when I saw him working his way forward against all the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during Nazi occupation in Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück Concentration Camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, A fine message for a line. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Freulein. Again, hand out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, who sins, had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. How could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours. As I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder raced down my arm, sprang, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. God provides the healing. And maybe today you're needing that touch of the healing of God in your life. And he took the initiative to come to you through his son, Jesus. He took the initiative to take the beating and the punishment for your sin and mine. And he's stretching out his arms to you right now. He's saying, I will forgive you if you just come to me. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy the healing power of the touch of your forgiveness and your grace in our lives. For somebody that needs to know that touch today, Father, I pray that through your spirit and your word, they would be prompted to take the step of coming to your offer of forgiveness. They haven't yet done so. They can repent of their sins and they can profess their faith in Jesus and be baptized, washed clean, and made brand new people starting today. And Father, for those of us who already know that grace, help us to be instruments of that grace to those around us, even those with whom we have strained, stressful relationships. May we be the ones who are the initiators of reconciliation and the offer of grace and forgiveness. And thank you for the healing that will bring to us and to so many others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.